0: Good morning, Hope Church Winchester and Junction Church East Lee, who are joining us this morning. I wish I could be with you in person, but that'll have to wait till another day. This morning, I'm speaking to you from the premises of Jubilee Christian Fellowship here in Stratford, Ontario, and it's my privilege to kick off a series that you're doing on the Spirit-filled church, and so I want to speak this morning on the day of Pentecost, but that's not where I'm going to start because the Holy Spirit makes His appearance in the Bible a long time before that. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit makes His appearance at the very beginning of the Bible. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit was the creative power by which God began to bring shape and order out of the primeval chaos. Now, the sun, Colossians tells us, is the agent by which God created the world, but the Spirit is the agent by which God gave that world shape and form. And so, the work of the Spirit continued. God speaks words into the creation, and out of all of that comes the world pictured in Genesis 1, culminating in the creation of humanity, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the earth and breathed, in, breathed into his nostrils the breath, ruach, which is also the word for spirit, of life, and the man became a living creature. Psalm 104 says, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. The Holy Spirit has a continuous creative role in the world. Now, the Holy Spirit operated many ways in the Old Testament. The Spirit was in Joseph to enable him to interpret dreams and rise to the heights of unparalleled wisdom and change the course of history. Uh, The Spirit filled Bezalel, Exodus 31, to enable him to produce incredible artistic creations. The Spirit came upon Balaam, Numbers 24 to prophesy. He came upon Othniel in Judges 3 and Samson in Judges 14 to lead them to victory. The Spirit stirred Samson in Judges 13 to the same end. He spoke through David, uh, 2 Samuel 23, to prophesy. He rested on Elisha, 2 Kings. 2. To endorse him as Elijah's successor, he entered into Ezekiel, Ezekiel 2. He fell upon Ezekiel, Ezekiel 10, and he lifted Ezekiel up in chapter 43, all of which in order to deliver the prophetic word. The Spirit came upon Saul and upon David to enable them to govern the nation. But when the Spirit departed from Saul in 1 Samuel 16, his leadership was at an end. After his sin, David cried out to God not to take the Holy Spirit away from him in that famous passage in the 51st Psalm. But all this leads up to something uh, significant, which is the prophets promise a fresh new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So God promises consistently through the prophets that in the last days which are going to come, the prophets obviously didn't understand all that that meant, but they knew it was coming, that in those last days, God would pour His Spirit out on His people in a way that had hitherto been unknown. And so God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, and He says this, I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I'll bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you should be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." And this theme continues in the next chapter of Ezekiel, which is chapter 37, where Ezekiel has this vision in which God breathes into these dry bones, and then he causes flesh and sinews to be created on them. Israel is depicted in this vision as nothing more than dry bones resurrected to life but the prophetic word continues promising that God is going to place His Spirit within them in the day when He will fulfill His promises and bring restoration. And although we often don't see it, there's a remarkable parallel in Ezekiel 37 to the original creation account. We shouldn't be as surprised by these things because the Bible is far, far more interconnected than you could ever believe. Which is why the book of Revelation contains more allusions to the Old Testament than all other books of the New Testament put together, because it is connecting at the end the Bible back to its beginning. That's a topic for another day. But back to Ezekiel 37 and this remarkable parallel to the original creation account. Now, back in Genesis 2, it says that God formed the man from the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, according to Ezekiel, God is going to take lifeless bones. He's going to cause breath to enter into them, and then they will come to life. He'll cause his breath to come upon them that the dead may live. And so, What is the significance of the fact that Ezekiel is going back to the original creation account and he's duplicating it? And so the significance is that what is going to happen to God's people in the last days, it recapitulates the original creation account of God breathing into Adam and bringing him life. In other words, there's going to be a day of new creation coming. That's why the New Testament talks so much about new creation and a second Adam. It's a whole new creation coming, and for our purposes today, we need to take note of the fact that the role of the Holy Spirit is just as significant in the new creation as the role of the Spirit was in the old creation or the first creation. Both. The Genesis account and Ezekiel's prophetic word have this two-stage process, one of which is the first is the forming of man from the dust, and the second is the breath of life coming into humanity to bring him to life, to bring it to life. So what is the prophet saying? The prophet is telling us that the A future day of resurrection of dead Israel is coming, and this is going to be an act of new creation. The creation of humanity came to a sad end. The story of the creation of humanity came to a sad end through the entrance of sin. As Adam failed in the commission that God had given him to extend the garden to the ends of the earth by being fruitful and multiplying. And then Israel came along, and Israel is given a similar commission to Adam to be a light to the nations of the world. And Israel failed. And so, therefore, an act of new creation is required if the purposes of God in the original creation are going to be fulfilled. And Ezekiel describes this act of new creation in two major ways. In chapter 36, he describes it as the washing with water, and in chapter, uh, and sorry, by the washing with water and new creation by the Spirit. That's chapter 36. And in chapter 37, he describes it in terms of an act of resurrection, also coming about by the Holy Spirit. So in the last days, there is going to be a washing with water and a resurrection. So that is a baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is fulfilled, obviously, in the New Testament. Now it, it wasn't just Ezekiel that was telling the people what was coming, because Isaiah Uh, spoke likewise, and he said that a Messiah is going to come in the last days, and upon the Messiah is going to rest the Spirit of the Lord. And when... that's Isaiah chapter... sorry, Isaiah, I'm speaking to people in England. When this king is sent from God... Sorry, that was Isaiah chapter 11. I'll get this right in a minute. But when this king is sent from God that Isaiah is talking about, he's going to rule in righteousness. And here it comes. The Spirit will be poured out on all of God's people in that day, Isaiah 32. And then Zechariah declared that in the last days, the plan of God is going to be accomplished, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Zechariah 4 and verse 6. And then finally, the prophet Joel speaks words which hundreds of years later are quoted by Peter as they came to fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. And Joel says, and afterward, that's in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy... Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance as the Lord has said. For some time before the time of Jesus, that is in this in-between period of darkness for the Jewish people. Uh, They believed that after the deaths of the last prophets of the Old Testament, about 400 years or so before the time of Christ, that was Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the Jewish teachers believed that on account of the sinfulness of the nation, that the Holy Spirit, who had anointed the godly, Men and prophets of old had departed from the nation. And only on the very rarest of occasions, and the rabbis argued over this, some believed that the Holy Spirit had completely departed, some believed that on the very odd, rare occasion, the Holy Spirit had touched someone. But they all agreed that they were living in a period of darkness where the Holy Spirit largely had left uh, the house and that the Holy Spirit would return only when the Messiah came, and that the sign of the coming of the Messiah was that He would be anointed by the Holy Spirit and by fire. And so at that time they believed, and that was their expectation, that God's people, all of them, would be filled with the Spirit, and they went back to the passage where Moses had an anointing of the Spirit upon him, and then the other elders uh, were brought, the 70 elders were brought into Moses' presence, and God put a portion of His Spirit on them, and, and then there was those two other guys, Eldad and Medad, out in the camp that, I don't know. They were just late, like some people always are to church, and uh, but they got the anointing of the Spirit right there in the camp. And the Jewish people—that's back in Numbers chapter twenty-nine. The Jewish people believed that the day would come when the Spirit would come on all of God's people, the same way that He had come upon those seventy elders, and they look forward to that. So this was the expectation at the time that John the Baptist showed up and began prophesying. And as a Jew, John the Baptist, he knew the Bible, uh, he knew the rabbi's teaching, he knew uh, what they believed, and John clearly understood that he came as the forerunner of the Messiah. He described himself, in Isaiah's words, as the one appointed to prepare the way for the Lord. And John also declared, that while he baptized in water, the one that was coming after him would baptize in the Holy Spirit. Now, those words spoken to Jewish people could only refer to one man, and that was the Messiah. And the Bible then records in Matthew chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus at his baptism. And then Jesus promised that whoever believed in him, John seven and thirty eight, would receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, then as Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they'd been clothed from the power with the power from on high, Luke twenty four. And on the fiftieth day after Passover, and because Pentecost comes from the Greek word for 50. Just as the Jewish people had expected, the Holy Spirit fell with fire and light upon the believers. Now, the believers were gathered together in a house, possibly the same house that uh, had the upper room in uh, <clears throat> referred to in chapter 1, where they were praying behind locked doors and so on probably in that very same place, but they were gathered together praying. Now, going back again for a moment, as you can see, I think by now, uh, that you can't understand Pentecost without understanding everything that goes before it, and that the Holy Spirit did not just walk on stage the way here we are in Stratford, and just like Stratford in England, uh, we have four Shakespearean theaters here, and uh, the actor... uh, it may not make an appearance until the second or the third act or something. But you see, the Holy Spirit isn't like that. The Holy Spirit made His appearance right at the opening line of the play. And that's what often we miss, and then we don't appreciate the fullness of what Pentecost really means. But back in Exodus chapter 19, Exodus speaks of the giving of the law on the third new moon. Now, uh, bear with me, uh, hold with me on this, Pentecost was the festival of the third month in the Jewish calendar. And so it was believed by the Jews to be the very day that God had given the law. That was the most important uh, moment in their history, the day that God gave the law. And so now, on this incredibly significant day, when thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish exiles from all over the Roman Empire, because they had spread across the empire, we're gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost and the giving of the law. On that very day, the law or covenant of God with his people is about to be renewed in a way the Jewish teachers never expected it or never anticipated because they didn't anticipate. For all of what they had of the Scriptures and prophecy, they never anticipated that it will be fulfilled in connection with that man who 50 days before had hung on a Roman cross and whom they had put there. Luke makes it clear that the coming of the Spirit was both audible and visible and totally supernatural. The sound of a rushing wind filled the room. That shouldn't surprise us because Genesis describes the spirit as the ruach or breath of God. The same word means wind. And so this mighty rushing wind fills the room and they all begin to speak miraculously in numerous languages. In fact, the languages of all the people who were gathered together on that day in Jerusalem. And as they spoke miraculously in these languages, fire appeared over them. Now, fire is very significant. When it comes to appearances of God in the Bible, God appeared at the burning bush in fire. The people of Israel followed behind the pillar of fire. Fire came to Elijah on Mount Carmel. Fire came from the heavenly altar to the mouth of Isaiah, as he prophesied. Fire was on the living creatures who appeared to Ezekiel. So it's not surprising that God appeared in fire. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that John the Baptist had prophesied when he said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The word baptism speaks of a total immersion. Up until now, the Spirit had come upon only a select group of people from time to time. But now, all of God's people are being immersed in Him. This immersing was the sign that the Messiah had come and that from now on, the people of God would be defined by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Well, these miraculous manifestations immediately drew a crowd. Uh, Maybe the disciples moved spontaneously out onto the streets. Maybe the place where they were was accessible to the public. I don't know. But whatever the case, what it demonstrates is one thing. You can't hide the work of the Holy Spirit, and you cannot restrain Him. Once He begins to move, His power is going to break out onto the streets and into the community. At Pentecost, uh, Jewish people and Gentile Converts to Judaism, as I said, from all over the Roman world were gathered together for the feast, and each of them began to hear the praises of God being spoken. I have no doubt whatsoever at the heart of those praises of God that they heard was the proclamation of the good news about Jesus as the Son of God, risen from the dead. And no wonder, according to verse 6 of Acts chapter 2, they were astounded or astonished. Now, it's really interesting that this same verb that's translated here as astounded or astonished, it can, it can also mean confused in the Greek language, and significantly, it is used twice in the Greek language. Old Testament, that's the Greek translation of the Hebrew, in Genesis chapter 11. Now, Genesis chapter 11 talks about the confusion of the tongues of Babel, where God confused the tongues of Babel. And this same word appears, but it's now, it's also used in connection with the work of God, but now it's turned around. Instead of the tongues being confused, the people are now confused in the sense of positively confused, amazed and astounded at the work that God is doing. And that's not an accident that that same word is put in there because the tongues of Pentecost undid the confusion of the tongues of Babel. At Babel, which was Babylon, which is obviously a very negative, significantly significant, it is a very significant, in the negative sense, place in Scripture. At Babylon, God divided off the people. He, he, he let them go to their own devices and to be ruled under foreign gods. And after Babel, He reserved one nation from all the peoples of the earth to preserve the covenant line of His Messiah. But at Pentecost, the reverse is happening. The, the tongues of Pentecost, which are now heard whereas the tongues of Babel, it was the reverse effect. They couldn't understand each other. Now, people are miraculously given a gift of understanding, or I'm sorry, the disciples are given a miraculous gift of speaking, and then all the peoples of all these different nations are able to understand. And so, instead of God cutting off the nations of the earth and giving them off to their own ends and reserving only one nation for himself. Now, God is taking his people, and he's telling them, you are going to go to the nations of the world because I'm in the business of extending my kingdom from one end of the earth to the other. The commission that I gave to Adam and in which he failed, the commission in which I gave to Israel in which they failed, is now going to be fulfilled by my son Jesus Christ. And the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus said, will go to every nation of the earth before the Lord returns. And so that was this incredible thing, the ungodly unity that God cursed at Babel is replaced by a divine unity that draws people out of every nation together in Christ. And the Romans, they love to list all the nations they'd conquered. Uh, Acts begins in Jerusalem, interestingly, it ends in Rome. And the list of nations that is written out here by Luke in Acts chapter 2, it runs from east to west, but includes people like the Parthians that Rome never conquered. The message that Luke is conveying is clear. The kingdom of God will lay claim to the nations in a way neither Rome nor any other empire would ever equal. The gospel of the kingdom would go forth to every nation. Well, The day of Pentecost inaugurated a new age, an age which started then and will extend until Jesus returns. We, you and I, are the people of the Spirit now. It's a tragedy when Christians spend more time arguing over the role of the Spirit than seeking the power of the Spirit. The Bible speaks of the Father being in heaven and the Son being seated at His right hand. That's what we call anthropomorphic language. In other words, we're speaking of God using the limited human language that we've got. We, we understand that the Father and the Son are not literally seated on chairs in heaven, but it expresses the truth as best we can. And the, the truth is that the Father and the Son are ruling from heaven, but, as Jesus said, And as Pentecost illustrates, the Holy Spirit is here. He is God on earth. Not the Father or the Son, but the Spirit is God on earth. The Spirit has been sent out by the Father and the Son to represent them on earth and to empower the people of God. See, all too often, we have limited the Holy Spirit, maybe not in our kind of church, but, it, but even in our kind of church to some extent, but all too often we've limited the Holy Spirit to nothing more than a point of doctrine. Sometimes people even refer, Christians, unbelievably, refer to the Holy Spirit as it. See, the enemy will do anything he can to marginalize the Holy Spirit because if he can, he has marginalized the work of God on earth. So when we see abuses of the work of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, just remember this. The cure for abuse is not disuse, but correct use. Folks, we're fighting a supernatural battle. We have an enemy who will use every supernatural weapon at his disposal. When he sees Christians disconnected, From the power of the Spirit, he doesn't decide to level the playing field by holding off his heavy artillery and be nice. No, he takes advantage of the opportunity to pick them off. Today, more than ever, we need to seek the power of Pentecost. Paul writes that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. That's incredible. That's the... Greater power than any nuclear power station on earth. Greater power than Niagara Falls, which is an amazing sight to see. But greater power than that is at work in me and in you. That's the power released at Pentecost. That's the power of the resurrection. That's the Holy Spirit. We need the power of Pentecost to move in the supernatural. But we also need the power of Pentecost to witness for the lost to live for Christ, to do anything for God. If the gifts of the Spirit are a supernatural gift of the Spirit, so also is the fruit of the Spirit. Without Pentecost, I have no power to walk in love, in joy, in humility, integrity, or godliness. Well, there were two groups of people in Jerusalem in that day. One group watched in wonder and sought out, what does this mean? The others looked on in disdain and suggested they'd had too much to drink. We need to be careful today that as we watch the moving of the Spirit, we fall into the first group and not the second. We all need more of the Spirit, not less. And as John Wimber said, God will offend the mind to change the heart. I'm speaking from a church which God used mightily in years past out of this congregation was planted, the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, from which a move of the Spirit mightily touched many, many nations of the world. And Wimber was an inspiration for this church and for that move, and for John and Carol Arnott who planted it here. God will offend the mind to change the heart. See, the supernatural is always an offense to the natural mind. Don't despise the work of the Spirit. Seek out what's truly God. Pursue that with all of your heart. There will always be activity when the Spirit comes. He will unearth the work of the enemy to be sure. And stuff will happen. But remember this. Where there's no oxen in the stall, there's no mess, but equally, there's no life. If you and I want the reality of the kingdom to come, there will always be mess, just as there is when a baby is born, but there will be life. Seek the Spirit and His work in your life, because without a personal Pentecost, you and I have nothing. God has made His Spirit available. To every single believer. It doesn't matter exactly how he comes to you or in what order he does things in your life, and it certainly doesn't matter what he's doing in you compared to what he's doing in the person next door to you. It just matters that he's at work in your life and that he's doing something. As for me, I'll take everything he wants to give me in order to do what he wants to do in my life. I will not turn him away I will not dishonor the Holy Spirit and I will not apologize for his work because without him, God on earth, I have nothing and neither do you. Every day is a new opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, come. Would you take a moment to pray with me? Holy Spirit, we need you. Please come to each one of us today. Please come to Hope Church. Please come to Junction Church. Please come to the commissioned churches scattered across the world, the New Frontiers family of churches, the, the Church of England, churches from other streams and groups. Lord, we need you. All of us, we need you so badly in these days. Whatever the enemy is doing, Father, you can do more. And it is your desire to use even negative circumstances such as those we find ourselves in today to produce a good out of that that will make us look back and say, thank you, Father, we went through it. So, Holy Spirit, if we re- rediscover more of who you are in these days, both personally, personally, and corporately, then it will be worth it. Holy Spirit, come. Come. Amen.